0: Good morning. Good morning, church. Welcome to Lagos worship. It is a joy to gather in this room together, or if you're watching online, we're so glad that we can worship together. If you're able to, would you go ahead and stand up with us? Every time we gather, we gather with a call to worship. And the call to worship simply reminds us that our God is awesome that there is no one like him. And that we are so glad that we get to gather together and praise his holy name. As we're walking through our summer series, uh, we have been focusing on Psalm 119 and reading through that together. So would you please read through this together with us? Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I will keep it to the end. Give me
1: understanding
0: that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away and approach them. For your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me. For I trust in your word. And take not the word utterly out of my mouth. For my hope is in your rule. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your presence. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. As we gather in worship this morning, not just through song, but through listening to the word and through prayer. Let's meditate on the statutes of the Lord and on the truth that he speaks to us. Amen?
1: Child
2: of God Yes, I
0: am Let's declare this truth together, I am chosen
1: I am chosen Say, can I am who you say I am? You are for.
0: is the life and the teachings of Jesus make it clear that we cannot complete the law on our own. And even as we walk through this series in the commandments, there's a reality that we cannot do that on our own. So as we continue to give, we recognize that it is only by the gift of Jesus Christ and what he has done. And we, in fact, mirror that giving, that generous heart. Let's read this prayer together. Heavenly Father, you've given us your one and only Son who paid for our sins with his life. Now we offer these gifts to you as a tangible sign of gratitude in our hearts. Amen. we continue. Go ahead and have a seat. And kids, would you come on for Pastor Danny has a word for you this morning.
3: Okay. okay. Oh man. You know, I might just need y'all's help this morning. I think I might be able to pull this off on my own, but what, what, what is this? There's a tree stump in here. All right, I'm going to get this tree stump, and I'm going to put it on the table. Wow, Wow, that's incredible. That's an incredible, incredible tree stump. Now, I want to tell you all a story. Now, y'all can go ahead and have a seat. Y'all can have a seat. Just look at it. Marvel at the tree stump. Marvel at the tree stump. Um, But I want to tell you a story in Isaiah chapter 4. God tells a story about a man who plants a tree in the ground and he takes care of it, he waters it and it grows into a mighty tree. And then he then chops it down into stumps like this, into logs like this. And then eventually, um, he cuts some of it into firewood. Yeah, because he didn't have any heat in his home and during the winter he needed to be warm. And so he cut the log into firewood. Have you ever had, did you ever have fire in your home in the fireplace? Fire. Yes, yeah. It's, it's warm, right? And then also, not only would he keep, um, he would chop the wood to stay warm by starting a fire, he would then cook his meal over the fire. So he would make bread or whatever meal he was making, he would use the wood to keep him warm and to help him cook his food. And then this same man would take a piece of wood from the same tree, and he would start making it into the form of a man, a statue, maybe like this size or maybe a little bigger. And then this man who was kept warm by the log, who cooked his food by the log, now created a statue that looked like a man from the log. And the man began to do something really weird, he began to bow down to the log, to the statue. And began to pray to it, and began to sing songs of praise to this statue made out of this log. And he began to ask things: "Would you help me? Would you uh, would you protect my family?" He would ask this of this piece of wood or a statue that was made out of a piece of wood. Now, what do you think about that? Crazy. That's crazy, isn't it? That's crazy. It's silly. And let me tell you, that was God's conclusion too. God would say that was absolutely the most silly thing that a man could do is to worship something that he had created and made himself, and then expect that thing to answer his prayer. Can I remind you that no one made our God? He made us. And we have no God like the one who created the universe and the stars, and no God like the God that created you and made you into the person that you are. We have no God like our God. And so let me encourage you your whole life to go to no one else but to our God. What would you like to add? Um, God makes the moon and I have a telescope. And I can look at the moon. Wow. Did y'all hear that? She has a telescope and she can look at the moon. And when she sees the moon, she thinks about how great God is, right? God is great and he is our God. Now, as I promised last week, we're memorizing the Ten Commandments. So can you remember the first one from last week? Yes, he did. Ah, so when you see the moon at night, when you get out, you sing a song. That's awesome. You know, God made the heavens and the earth so that when we see the moon and the stars, we're to think about him and he as creator. But let's do the first commandment. Do we have it memorized? Can y'all do it? Y'all ready? I'm gonna start it. Y'all need to finish it. You shall... That's pretty close. You shall have no other God. Say it with me. You shall have no other gods. All right, adults, can you say it? You shall have no other gods. All right, here we're going to do the second one. This is a brand new one. This is a brand new one. All right, do y'all know this one? Okay, I'm going to say it first, then I want you to say it back to me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not make for yourself an idol. All right, adults, can y'all say that with me? You shall not make for yourself an idol. Now keep up with that. Y'all memorize these. We're gonna do these all every week. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for your words to us. We're grateful that you are an incredible God. There's no one like you. May we always love you, seek you, trust you above everything else. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's kids said, Amen. amen, amen. Don't one get distracted by the um, big piece of wood on stage, please. Well, let me welcome you to Lagos. My name is Danny Panter. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at this wonderful church family at First Baptist. And uh, it is a delight to be able to gather for worship. And what a privilege it is, really, if you think about it. Um, to worship a God like our God. There's none like him, and he invites us. He says, I want you to know me and to walk with me and trust me and look to me. What a privilege it is that we get to enter in this relationship um, with a God who has made us and loved us. If you're a guest with us today, uh, let me just say thank you for being here. Uh, We don't want to take it for granted. If you're walking through these doors for the very first time, you are in Lagos, This is our band-led worship gathering. Our hope is for you to feel very comfortable in this place, aside from the prompting of God through His Word, Um, but we want you to feel welcome and comfortable and to know that we are having a conversation with the most important truths of the whole universe, uh, that God has made us and loved us, and even though that we have rejected Him, He has made a way for us to come back. He sent His Son, Jesus who died and rose from the grave, that we could have a brand new relationship with God. That's the God that we worship, and we hope that you have a sense of that today. If you are a guest with us, there is a little card in front of you. It says, Connect Here. Um, Would you just do us the honor of just filling this out? And at the close of the service, um, you can just kind of put it on the table as you exit to the right um, so that we can just begin to have a friendship and relationship with you. This is the way that we can do that, but we are thrilled, thrilled that you are here. Um, It is Father's Day, and I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to pray for dads. We're going to pray for dads, we're going to thank the Lord for fatherhood, but we're going to use this opportunity to thank the Lord. Let's pray this together. Lord, you are the first and ultimate image of fatherhood. You created it out of your own character. Those of us who are fathers feel the gravity of this calling and pray for your spirit to lead us daily. When we fail to love like you, show us the way to repentance. The rest of us use this day to thank you for your design for fathers in our lives and pray that you will equip us to love and honor them well. We pray this in the name of Jesus, whose love for his Father inspires us, amen. I want you to stay standing, stay standing. I know that was a close one, that was a close one. Um, We're also gonna read our scripture together. I thought it wise, just keep you standing rather than put you back down and put you back up in just a moment. But we have been in Exodus chapter 20 looking at the 10 commandments. We're tackling the second one today. So let's read verses four through six. but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Thank you. You may be seated. The truth is, we are an idol-making people. We always have been. Uh, From the days of the garden in chapter 3, when we fell, when Adam and Eve fell and distrusted God um, and went their own way, we have been experts at making idols we even make idols out of the most wholesome and noble things nothing is untouched when it comes to idol making we can make an idol almost out of anything and you know this we know this truth about ourselves now we might not know precisely what our particular idols are although I don't think it takes much effort to determine what our particular idols are but nonetheless we know that we make them we are idol makers. And so last week, I challenged you to begin this identification process to kind of test your own heart by asking yourself this question, what things do I say yes to while saying no to God? And when we kind of do a scorecard and indicate all those things that we say yes to while saying no to God, we might be able to pinpoint the idols that we have in our life. And so hopefully that's been a little discipline for you this past week to think about, man, what things do I say yes to over and over again that I've had to say no to God because I've said yes to those things? Hopefully you've taken that seriously. But in these four verses, there are three words that I want us to spend some time on that I think help illuminate the kind of process that we all go through in our own idol-making in our own heart, in our own life, um, as well as the warnings that God gives us as to why we don't do this thing, idol making. And the first word is make, make. You know, while in more distant times or even faraway cultures, idols were made of silver and gold or stone or wood. And there are some cultures today that still very much are in that kind of idol making business. They attach a very clear image to an idol in their life, although that's not necessary anymore, necessarily the case anymore in our culture. And even though our idols don't always take those kind of forms that they used to, the process in making those kind of idols in our life that spring up out of our life are very much the same. And we also have just as many idols as the ancient world ever had. I mean, if we think back through uh, from the Romans and Greeks and the Gempsons, all those popular mythological gods, they had a God for every single emotion or feeling or need in the human existence. And it's no less true for today. I mean, all the idols that bubble up in our own life um, are just as many or as more. We have an idol for almost everything. Now, Neil Gaiman is, um, is an author Uh, He wrote a book called American Gods, and that title caught my attention. I read the book. I wouldn't always recommend you reading it necessarily, Um, but I felt like the way he described this process of idol making or how idols was born was pretty much very spot on. In his book, there are old world gods like Thor, the ones that we are very accustomed to, and Zeus, and even the gods that you know, were bubbled up in African culture over the centuries and millennia, that these gods came into existence when a person or people over time gave their affection and devotion and worship to a particular need or thing, and over time, a god came to life and manifested itself after that devotion and energy and time devoted to it, and it took on a life of its its own. And the power of that God rose and fell depending upon the worship and devotion or attention given to that God. And so in the book, you have these old gods who are trying to stay alive because their strength and power is attached to the worship of people around the world. And I felt like, wow, that's really a great description That our gods come to life and spring to life even out of our own devotion and worship of things other than God. The things that we give our energy to and devotion to and look to and acceptance to are those idols that just kind of spring up out of our life and we give ourselves to them and we give power to them. They lord over us. It's almost as if they have a life of their own. I felt like it was pretty spot on. The Apostle Paul, though, gives a very clear description of what begins to take place in the human heart when an idol is being made. This is in Romans 1, verses 18 through 20. Listen to this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God, watch this, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Idolatry, idolatry. So what are some of the things that Paul is really pinpointing in this process of how idols are born in our life. He begins with sin and unrighteousness. Now, idol-making in itself is a sin. It's wrong. That's why it's one of the commandments. But what we discover is that our brokenness, our unrighteousness, and sin in our own life begins to suppress the truth of God to where that we become blind. We can't see the most obvious things. And then Paul says, and God made himself known. Uh, he, God didn't try to hide himself, but when he created the heavens and the earth, when he put the, the moon in the sky, like the kids were talking about the moon and the sun and the stars and the mountains and the rivers and lakes and even our own human bodies, which we marvel at, he said, I did that so it could be so visible and obvious of that which is invisible. Paul says, you know, God created the heavens and the earth and put us in it made in his image so that when we look at a beautiful landscape and a sunrise or a sunset or we look at our children and marvel at them, we don't say, oh, wow, I need to make them an idol. No, our eyes go from from horizontal to vertical and we say, thank you, Lord, creator of heaven and earth. He says, I made it plain to them. But Paul says, because of sin, we have suppressed that truth. Even though we knew God, we did not honor him or give him thanks. Listen to this verse. This is 1 Timothy 4.4. 4. For everything created by God is good. So Paul says. Everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. understand what Paul is saying? He's repeating it in a different way here, but he's already said it in Romans chapter 1. When we look at God's creation, whatever it is, from God's design for human sexuality to the moon and the sky, we were to receive it and say, thank you, Lord. Idolatry begins to manifest. Our idols are born in our life when we don't say thank you to the Father for what he's created, and that thing becomes the object of our devotion and affection. Does that make sense? That becomes it in our life and we can have many it's in our life. So rather than honoring God for what he's created, rather than saying thank you for good food and um, these people in my life, the the stars in the sky, we begin to make much of them, we begin to look to them, we make them gods in our life. And the crazy thing is that um, we then claim to be so wise. And the whole time, God says, how foolish it is to worship this thing. Don't you see? It's a created thing. It's a created thing. But we say wise. Man, our culture beats its chest in its wisdom. Man, we know all about human sexuality. We know all about the reason and wisdom of this world. We've got this thing down. And we beat our chest thinking we've got all the questions answered. And God is saying, you are worshiping a stump. You're making an idol out of something that was never intended to lord over you. And you claim to be wise. There are three things that I think kind of um, kind of stand out of this process of idol making and the reasons why we are inclined to make idols. I'm gonna say them very quickly and we're gonna move on. First, I feel like idols are always a reflection of the darkness of our own heart. And it feeds on itself. Psalm one fifteen eight says, those who make them will be like them. So do all who trust them. Psalm 115 is all about idol worship. We become just like them, and so idolatry springs out of the darkness of our own human heart. That desire, that lust of the flesh, we make a God out of something that never should have been, but it springs out of the darkness of our own heart, and as we devote ourselves to it, we become more just like that thing. So if money is our God, we become more greedy, right? Our life revolves around success and money. And it takes on a huge life in our own life. The second thing that I think is true about this process of idol making is, and why we do it is our idol making is always an attempt at control. If you remember the Israelites, even while Moses was on the mountain receiving the law of God, they were down bewildered and in fear. Where is Moses? He's been gone for days at a time. What are we going to do? So they say, Aaron. Help us out here. Give us a God. And Aaron says, Okay, I'll make a God for you. It's the Lord God that rescues you out of Egypt. And so they he said, Give me all of your earrings and your gold. And he melted it down. But they did that because they, in fear, they wanted something that they can control or manipulate. If I could just get my hands and mind wrapped around this thing, then maybe I can have control over my own destiny. They wanted control. The third thing that happens out of this this idolatry-making process in our own life is that our idol-making is an attempt at finding approval for the things that we think and feel and do. You know, the easiest way to find approval for the way we live our lives is to change our gods, right? The moment you just want to feel okay about the stuff going on in your life and the behaviors in your life and the way you live your life is just to change your God and it happens before we know it. And so we create idols out of this sense of, well, I just want approval for the way that I'm living my life. And so we make this idol that says, oh, you're doing great. Don't stop what you're doing. Be yourself. And we, we get so comfortable in that. Our idols will always align with how we want to live our lives, always always. Uh, just for example, um, the, the God of sex will never say, you know, maybe you shouldn't do that thing. No, the God of sex says, go full forward. I mean, that's where you're wired. It's where you're designed. Go. Um, the God of anxiety will never say, you know, um, maybe you should just trust in God. No, the, the God of anxiety says, just, just, just freak out. Just Go. Anxiety God will never tell you to pull back. Or the food God, the food God will always say eat more. And the ego God will say everything revolves around you. It'll never tell you to pull back because the easiest way to find approval in our life is to change our God. There are two other words that um, are in this text that I wanna draw attention to. The first was make, and we just talked about make. The second one is jealous, jealous, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And what we discover is that God gives us really good reasons, gives us really good reasons never to make a God, never to make a carved image. Um, That first one is, he says, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God. We're not always comfortable with the idea of God being jealous. In many cases, for us, it's a character flaw, not a godly attribute. But let me tell you, absolutely, it's a godly attribute. What if, what if, (laughs) wow, Um, I think I'm, am I a little taller than him? But seriously, think for a moment. What if Anna decided to replace me with a two-dimensional cutout image of her husband? Silly, isn't it? Silly. I mean, she could take me wherever she wanted me to take me. She could take me along the kitchen, or she could uh, take me up t- t- stairs where the girls' rooms are. She could just really take me wherever she wanted. Um, she could... Uh, just share her life with me and feelings. And I would just be the best listener in the world. She could, she could bounce ideas off of me. And listen, I would agree with everything. This cutout would agree with everything that she had to say. And pretty soon it would just be kind of an echo chamber, right? I mean, she could set me in front of the dishes and in front of the trash and hope that I could do the dishes or take out the trash. Um, but we laugh. That's absurd. That's foolish. This cutout can do absolutely nothing in my home. I don't care if she could take this cutout wherever she went and bounce off as many ideas off of it as she wanted, but I could never meet her deepest needs ever. I can't wash the dishes I couldn't take out the trash. I couldn't really listen to her. I couldn't speak into her. I couldn't help her. This cutout can do no good for Anna. And it can't do any good for my family. I can't, this cutout can't pray with my kids at night, can't read scripture with them, can't help them, can't counsel them, can't do homework with them. This cutout can't do anything at all. And furthermore, This cutout is not worthy of my wife's attention. I am. but Talking to this thing, dragging this thing around, it's not worthy of my wife's affection and energy. I am. I'm the one she's made a covenant with, not a two-dimensional cutout. And when God says that he's jealous, he's jealous for these kind of reasons. Don't you see how absurd and silly and foolish that you devote yourself to something that's two-dimensional and can't do anything in your life but lead to destruction? He says, I'm jealous. I alone am worthy of that kind of devotion, worship, and attention, and energy, and time. And he's jealous for our good. Listen to this. When we say that God is a jealous God, he is worthy of attention and worship, but he is jealous for our good because this this idol, whatever it is, can't do anything in your life but bring destruction if that alone is your object of devotion. Can't bring any good to your life. And he says, I'm jealous because I'm worthy of your attention and affection and devotion, and I'm jealous because you're inviting heartache, hardship and destruction in your life. And that leads us to the third word. Generation. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. God wants our good. And in creation, he made Man and woman and his image. And the father will leave his mother and dad and cleave to his wife and become one flesh. And they will have children by the grace of God. And to pull God out of that equation invites destruction. God in in the life of the individual or the life of the family is like the cog in a watch. You pull that part out and it will cease to function. It's the same way. God says, I've designed the universe in such a way that when you pull me out of it, it begins to fall apart. Begins to fall apart. And God says, I don't want your life to fall apart. But when you pull me out, when you become godless in your own life and erect idols made out of wood in your life or two-dimensional cutouts, listen, you are inviting destruction because your life was never intended to operate on devotion and worship of a thing rather than me. Just listen to this for a moment. Let me just give you some just real-world stats on Father's Day. The father absence crisis in America. Let me just list a few things of the impact that fatherlessness has in father absent homes. The children who grow up in fatherless homes are four times greater uh, risk of poverty, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a team, more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to face abuse and neglect, two times greater risk of infant mortality, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, more likely to go to prison, two times more likely to suffer obesity, more likely to commit crime, two times more likely to drop out of high school. I mean, think about this. So even even just in a real world, tangible level, when you remove a father out of the home. The impact is potentially profound. Right? We see that everywhere. We don't always like to admit it that way, but it's true. Listen to this. When both parents attend Bible study, in addition to Sunday worship, 72% of their children will attend Sunday school when growing up. When only the father attends Bible study, 55% of the children will attend when they grow up. When only the mother attends Sunday school, only 15% of the children will attend Sunday school growing up or Bible study or small group. When neither parent attends Bible study, only 6% of the children will attend when they grow up. Man, listen to this, it just goes on. if a mother is the first to become a Christian in a home there's a 17% probability everyone else in the household will follow when the father is first there is a 93% probability everyone else in the household will follow staggering I am absolutely essential in the well-being of my family not a two-dimensional cutout. It won't cut it. And what's true of fathers in the home is true of God in the home, or God in your life. If we remove God and put something else in its place, on something else in His place, God says the promise is that it could wreak havoc in your family for generations, for generations. But that's not God's heart for us. That's not God's heart for dads or moms or individuals. God says, I want to be your God alone. Do not make gods in your life because I want you to know God's blessing. Remember last week, God gave us a covenant so that we could know his blessing. But he says, if you pull me out, if you worship something else, if you make an idol and devote yourself to that thing, you will reap destruction, and not just for you, but for generations to come. And Dad, if you're hearing this, just a Father's Day note, um, you know how long it takes you to make a sizable impact like that on your family? Just a moment. Some of you are thinking, Dad, Danny, I'm not the kind of dad that I need to be. I, I I could be. Yeah, you and I agree. We're there. I'm not the dad always that I need to be. But we could quickly change the trajectory of our homes in a moment, discarding the shame that I haven't prayed as I ought, I haven't read scripture as I ought, and we can say today, by the grace of God, I'm going to lead. And let me just say something else you can change things in a moment fathers but two that's exactly the way god has wired you to lovingly lead he's made you that way and so when you begin to lead and lay down idols in your life and say you know what i want to be the kind of dad that god's designed me to be you'll discover more fullness and it doesn't mean it's easy but more fullness and more joy because that's the way you were wired is to lovingly lead with god at the center In your home idolatry is godlessness idolatry is removing God and replacing him with something of our own making and we have many I've already named a few let me name a few others schedules fear work pleasure even the way we do church heaven forbid that God asks us to do something we say no because that's not the way we do church acceptance, leisure, comfort. All of those we can make into God's. Uh, In the village of the city of Ephesus, um, Paul created chaos when the people began to see Jesus for who he was, that he was indeed the son of God. They began to bring their idols out of their homes and their sorcery books and books on magic and all that stuff. And be, they piled it all in one place and burned it. They said, we're going to cast down our idols. We're going to get rid of this stuff. I remember growing up in West Africa, and I had this vague memory of coming into a village and seeing these families burning their idols. And so my question for us today is, will we cast down our idols? Will we identify them? Will we see them? Will we see what we devote ourselves more to than devoting to God? Will will we identify those things that we say yes to rather than saying yes to God? Will we identify them and then cast them out? Will we burn them? Will we put them in a big pile and light them on fire? That's my hope. Will you name it and say God alone has that place? Uh, We're going to move into a time of response where I'm going to give you an opportunity just to be honest with yourself and, and say to the Lord, Lord, this is this is my idol. And maybe you need to even back up that step. Maybe you need to say, Lord, show me my idols. But there's a part of me that says you won't even need to ask that because you know them. But I want us to move into a time of response where we say, Lord, I'm casting down my idol, casting it down. At no more destruction of my family, in my life, and my friendships. I want to be a person, a father, a mother, a son, or a daughter who exalts you and listens to you and devotes themselves to you, reads your word rather than claiming truths from everywhere else. I want to cast down my idols and put you in your proper place. Will you do that with me today? Um, let me also remind you that this is an altar, uh, this is open for us. I know it's, it's a little bigger than the chapel, but come and pray. We commit to come alongside and pray with you. Come to faith in Christ for the first time, recognizing that he alone is God. And through him, you can have forgiveness of sin and restoration and new life. He says, come to me, believe in me. Will you come put your faith and trust in Christ? Will you join this family of believers that want to own and live out that truth every day and make an impact in this city? Will you be a part of this family? Come be a member. So I'm gonna pray. And we're going to respond faithfully by casting down our idols. Let's pray together. Father, we all have them. We all have our pet idols. Some are always just creeping right behind us. They're just there. And Lord, by your grace, many of us can say no to them. But Lord, still, we, we want to We wanna name these idols, we wanna cast them out, cast them down, we wanna get rid of them in our life. Lord, we wanna know your strength and your grace to overcome them and put our faith in you alone. So Lord, as your people in this place, we ask you help us to see and to know the names of those idols and help us to cast them down. May we be your people alone. And may we have no other gods but you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand together, continue to worship. You respond today.
1: our needs O oh, Spirit come make us humble every day. You're... is you make all things work together for my good you make all things work together for my
3: For you may be seated for this incredible time of worship um, together. Just want to identify a few things going on in our church um, family that I'd uh, like for you to be aware of. We include these announcements in this worship folder. So if you don't have one, pick up up on the way out and I'll just kind of let you know what's going on. But let me just identify a few. Um, uh, VBS is coming up June 23rd through 27th. That's a big deal. It's an important part of our church family, an opportunity to invest in the city and families in the area to make much of Jesus in the lives of kids and moms and dads. Um, July 4th, Family 4th is coming up July 4th, um, so be a part of that. That's always a fun thing in our church uh, families as well. We gather right here, uh, and we just have a lot of fun celebrating uh, July 4th together. And let me also mention during VBS we have FBCSA University. Um, FBCSA University is uh, a c- classes uh, for adults um, that are going on concurrently with VBS. They're on the third floor coconut, I believe. Is that the case? Third floor coconut. Um, so look into that. you can look at the website and see the different courses that we're offering. but be a part of that. They're a lot of fun, very interesting and encouraging. I'd like to invite Byron up. Um, Byron, tell us a little bit about Children's Hunger Fund. All right.
4: Thank you everybody for participating in the Children's Hunger Fund Summer of Hope project. Uh, lights are bright, man, I can't see anybody. Okay, uh, we've collected about 150 so far boxes and I'm sure there's probably another 100 out there. Everybody tells me, I didn't bring it in, is that okay? It's okay, the drive is over, but if you bring it in, I'll get it to where it needs to go. Uh, We are going to feed the kids in San Antonio and South Texas with these. Uh, Over the summer, a lot of kids go hungry, and so this will help a lot. Um, It isn't just about meeting a felt need, though. This gospel-centered organization is going to help us, mobilize us, teach us, train us to to make disciples in our city. And um, from now until the end of the year, I'm going to help this vision, help, uh, help you understand how this group will, will help our church to be more healthy and more outgoing and to reach families for Christ. And so um, one way is leading up to Christmas care, we typically raise money for food or we have food donation like this for, at Christmas, but this organization will help us to do this and we will raise money and they will help us with the logistics. It's not just about that. It's not about feeding the poor, it's not just about feeding the hungry, it's about helping them have Christ, show them who Jesus is. If our community mission efforts are not about sharing the gospel, then we're not obeying the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. We must be obedient to that. And so um, through, through these efforts, uh, I'm going to have an informational luncheon where you can learn more about this mercy ministry, this network of churches all over the country. Where we can, even if we don't pack boxes, we still have boxes to take to a family and start a relationship where we can share Jesus with them, okay? And it's long term. It's invested. That, that's what it's about. Um, and there's also going to be a discipleship training also you can look for after that. I want everybody to come. I'm going to fill this room. We'll have multiple trainings if we have to. But I want everybody to know that if, if you, even if you can't find somebody in your neighborhood that's in need, that you know that needs Jesus, we have, I already have identified 50 that I can, I can send you to. So um, who is ready? Who's ready to obey the Great Commission and to do this together? Thank you, Byron. Um, awesome. If you're a student
3: going on camp this week, could you just stand where you are? We have students that are going out from our church family to be a part of youth camp. And I want us in our benediction to pray over them. And so you may wanna put your hand on them. We know that God uses these saturated moments, these saturated moments um, to speak into their life, um, uh, to move them along this journey of faith. And so um, as they stand, as you stay seated, would you just put your hand on them and we're gonna read our benediction as if we're praying Go, be salt and light, make disciples. Kids, we love you. Have a wonderful time at camp. Thank you,